So, so how, how do you view Belt and Road within the large framework of the West and China, East Asia, Eurasia relations? And how would you debunk this myth created, especially in the West, that, there is, that this is a death trap? Uh, there, there are two points uh, to answer that. The first is how the Belt and Road began. And as you pointed out, uh, the Belt and Road began when China said, what is it that we need to grow and how, how do we grow within our neighboring countries so we don't have to depend upon the West and we don't have to depend on sea trade that can be shot down? How do we get uh, roads instead of seas uh, in a way that we can integrate uh, our economy with uh, the neighboring economies so that it can be a mutual growth. So this was done pretty much on industrial engineering. Uh, here's where you need uh, the roads and the railroads. Uh, and then how do we finance it? Well, uh, the, uh, the Financial Times article uh, la last week said, didn't the Chinese know that uh, railroad development, they've, they've all gone broke. The, uh, the, uh, the Panama Canal, went broke, you know, the first few times, there were all the European railway investment in Latin America in the 19th century, that all went broke. Well, uh, uh, what they don't get is China's aim was not to make a profit off the railroads. It, the railroads were built to be part of the economy. Yeah, part of the economy. <laughs> the aim wasn't to make profit, it was to help the real economy grow, not to make profits for the owners of the railroad stocks. Uh, but the uh, Western press can't imagine that you'd build a railroad without trying to make money off the railroad. Without trying to make money out of it. <laughs> well, then you get to the, the debt issue and the debt, uh, no, you, countries only have a debt crisis if the debt is in a foreign currency. Uh, and the United States, uh, ever since 1945, the whole the first way uh, that the United States gained power was to fight against its allies. Uh, the, the great uh, the great enemy of America was England, and it made the British loan that prevented England from uh, blocking its currency with a block currency in the 1940s. And so uh, India and uh, other countries that had all these currency. Uh, uh, holdings that it, uh, in sterling were able to convert it all into dollars. Uh, the whole move of the U.S. was to denominate uh, world debt in dollars so that, number one, uh, the banks would uh, end up with the interest in financing the debt, and number two, the United States could uh, control, by using the debt leverage, control uh, domestic politics. Well, uh, as you're, you're seeing right now in Argentina, for instance, uh, Argentina uh, is broke because it owes foreign dollar uh, debt. Uh, when I was, uh, I started the first uh, third world bond fund in 1990 at Scudder Stevens and Brazil and, China and Argentina were paying 45% interest per year on 45. dollar debt. 45% mm -hmm. per year in dollar debt. We tried to sell them in America. No American would buy the fund that we had. We went to Europe. No European would buy this debt. And uh, so uh, we worked with uh, Merrill Lynch and Merrill Lynch was able to sell, uh, to say, well, make an offshore fund in the Dutch West Indies. And all of the uh, debt was sold to the uh, Brazilian ruling class in the central bank and the Argentina yeah. bankers, and, <laughs> bankers in the ruling class. And we thought, oh, that's wonderful. We know that they're going to pay the foreign debt, Yankee dollar debt, because the Yankee dollar debt is owed to themselves. They're the Yankees. They're the, <laughs> you know, a client oligarchy. 
And as you know from Brazil, client oligarchy is, you know, they're cosmopolitan is the word exactly. use. So uh, the, the problem is that uh, on the Bilton Road, how do these other countries pay the debt to China? Well, uh, this, uh, the key there again is de-dollarization. Uh, and one way to solve it is since we're trying to get finance out of the picture, uh, we're doing something very much like uh, Japan did with Canada in the 1960s. It made loans to develop a Canadian copper mine, taking its payment not in dollar, Canadian dollars, uh, that would have pushed up the uh, yen exchange rate, but in copper. Uh, China says, you know, uh, you don't have to pay currency for this debt. We can uh, work. Uh, we didn't build a railroad to get uh, to make a profit in. You want yen? We can print all the currency we want. We don't need to make a profit in yen. Uh, we we made the Belt and Road because it's part of our geopolitical attempt to create a uh, what we need to make uh, to be prosperous and have a prosperous region. So they're self-reinforcing mutual gain. Well, that's what the West doesn't get. Mutual gain. Are we talking anthropology? Yeah, yeah, they don't understand the notion of mutual gain. <laughs> Primitive tribes. What do you mean mutual? You know, this is capitalism. <laughs> you know, so uh, uh, there's uh, the the West doesn't understand what the original aim of the Belt and Road was, and it wasn't to make a, a profitable railroad uh, to enable people to buy and sell <laughs> railroad stops, and it wasn't to make toll roads. You know, to sell off to uh, uh, to uh, whatever uh, Goldman Sachs. You know, to yeah. make uh, to charge tolls. Uh, uh, it was. A different, we're dealing with two different economic systems, and it's very hard for one system to understand the other system because of the tunnel vision that you get uh, when you get a degree in economics. <laughs> <laughs> and the Belt and Road loans, they are a long-term and very low interest, and they are renegotiable. They are, yeah, renegoti yeah. They are renegotiating with the Pakistanis all the time, for instance. Yeah, China's intention is not to, drive, not to repeat an Asia crisis, uh, yeah. of 1997. It doesn't gain anything by forcing a crisis because it's not trying to come in and buy property at a discount, you know, at a, at a, at a distress sale. Uh, it, it has no desire to create a distress sale. So obviously, uh, it, the idea is the capacity to pay. Now, this, is, this whole argument occurred in the 1920s between Keynes and the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, his opponents who wanted uh, to collect German reparations. And Keynes made it very clear. What's the capacity to pay? Uh, uh, it's the ability to export and uh, the ability to, you know, uh, to uh, obtain foreign currency. Well, China's not looking for foreign currency. Uh, it is looking for uh, uh, economic uh, return, but it look, the return is to the whole society. The return isn't from a railroad. The return is for the economy because it's looking at the economy as a system. And uh, the way that uh, neoliberalism worked, it divides the economy into parts and it makes every part trying to make a gain. And if you do that, then you don't have any infrastructure that's lowering the cost for the other parts. You have every part fighting, fighting itself. You don't look in terms of a system. And China's looking at it. That's the, the great advantage of Marxism. You look at the system, not at just the parts. Exactly, and this is and this is at the heart of the Chinese concept of a community with a with a shared future for mankind. 
which is uh, the approximate translation from Mandarin, of course. Now. So we compare community with a shared future for mankind, which is, let's say, the, the driving force between uh, the idea of Belt and Road, expanded across Eurasia, Africa, and Latin America as well, with uh, our good old friend, greed is good from the 80s, which is still ruling America, apparently. You know? And the corollary is that non-greed is bad. 